For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Well, good morning. Just when we thought we uh, couldn't do anything more differently in the way we worship, we are, uh, we are testing the limits yet again. Welcome to First Baptist Church, and, and uh, I tell you, it is absolutely amazing. Thank you, Danny, for, for leading, worship, uh, leading worship today uh, from your home. I hope you and Jennifer and the kids stay warm and safe, and, and I hope all of you do as well as uh, we uh, take a look at, at what's going on uh, with regard to the weather and everything. I just hope that you stay warm and safe. And uh, we are coming, I, I, it's just amazing to see, uh, you know, for someone who is not technologically advanced, uh, like, like me, um, Danny is leading worship in Starkville, Terry and I are here uh, at the church, you are in your homes, and we are all worshiping together. We are worshiping the one Lord, the risen Savior together. We're together as a family. We may not be in the same room right now, but we are together as a family. And I'm just so uh, excited to have the opportunity uh, to come to you this morning, uh, even, in this, even in this way, to talk about what God's uh, put on my heart uh, with regard to worship. Before we do that, I, have, I have a couple of extra announcements. Because of the inclement weather and because tomorrow is supposed to be the worst day of the weather, uh, it's also the day where the deacons normally have their monthly meeting. I talked with uh, Kyle Curran, who's chairman of the deacons, and uh, the deacons meeting has been moved from tomorrow to next Monday. Uh, and as a result of that, our business meeting will be moved from this Wednesday to next Wednesday. Uh, just to let everyone know that so you can make plans accordingly for that. want to make sure you know about that. Also, the children and youth camps uh, registration is, is open for those uh, those uh, camps, children's camp is going to be May 29th through June the 2nd. Youth camp is going to be June 28th through July the 2nd. Uh, if you have not uh, signed up uh, for those, please, uh, please do so if we uh, have uh, space available. Also, uh, because we are not able to fundraise the way we normally do uh, for these things to offset the cost uh, of these camps, we have sent out envelopes. You received them. If you, are, if you get the witness, you have received one in your witness. We've got them around the church. Uh, we encourage you to, uh, to, to take a moment to prayerfully consider uh, helping uh, the families here at the church uh, send their kids to camp by offsetting the cost of that with, just, with, uh, with some type of, of uh, donation with regard to that. If you'd like to do that and don't have an envelope, please contact the church, and we will let you know how to do that. I uh, want to make sure you are aware uh, of that. Let's, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we will get started with our, with our look at, at true worship this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your love for us. God, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather together, even in this way that is unique and, and different. Father, I just, I just thank you for giving us the, the, the knowledge and, and, and the technology and, and everything that you have blessed us with to enable us to gather as your church, as your family, uh, uh, during both this time of, of uh, pandemic as well as, uh, as well as bad weather. And Father, I just, I just pray that as we worship together, that the Holy Spirit will be released in this place and, and wherever uh, those who are listening are. And Father, I just pray that the Spirit will teach us today. God, help us to take your word and to apply it to our lives, God. And, and as we apply it to our lives, we bring it with us into the church, Lord. And I just, I just pray that you will 
uh, teach us what we need to know today. Thank you for giving us the, the beautiful blessing of your son Jesus who, who came and who, who lived uh, among us and who died for us so that we could be reunited with you in a way that you, you intended. And Father, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, if you've got them, to 1 Corinthians 1.10. We're going to be taking a look at several verses, but that's going to be one of the ones we, we look at uh, per, per pretty closely. We're going to be talking about something uh, that is really critically important in our lives and in the life of, of the church. Last week, we started a conversation about worship, what it looks like, what it means, how we do it. And I hope that as we begin this series, we're able to, to kind of change or to, to grow or to modify how we think about worship. It's not simply what we do here in this place. It's not simply what takes place from uh, 10 to 11 in Sunday school or from 11 to 12 in church or from 6 to 7 on Wednesday nights. But worship is a lifelong habit. Worship is a, a part of, of who we are. We learned uh, as we began this study that worship is about so much more than where and how we praise God. It's about praising God with every part of our being. It's about praising God with everything that, that we have. Um, and if, if you joined us last week, we also talked for a minute or two about things that might distract us from worship. Because I think that's pretty important. By doing that, if we are distracted from worship, we damage our ability to worship God the way He deserves and the way He has commanded us. And I think it's important to know what the potential fault lines are. I think it's important for us to know as we, as we grow as, as worshipers, I think it's important that, that we know how uh, we can be distracted from that so we can be on the lookout for that. We can be prepared to face the distractions. Every church has them. And unfortunately, some churches don't, don't survive those distractions. And the more I thought about how crucial right worship is to us as, as individuals and, and, and to the church as a whole, over the past week as we were thinking about this, the more God just placed it on my heart that we should not go any further into our look into worship without addressing head-on the number one destroyer of worship in the family of God, whether it's personal or whether it's corporate. And that is the sense of disunity. That is the sense of disunity. Now, I know usually when a pastor preaches on disunity, folks are starting to think to themselves, well, what's he talking about? Is there something going on? Is there something I need to be aware of? Let me tell you something. No. Let me tell you, we have, we have been through a period, even though we've not been together, we have been through a period of, of unprecedented unity and fellowship in this church, okay? But what's important for us is to not let our guard down. As we move forward to do the work that God has commissioned us to do, as His children and as the church, as the body of Christ, it's important that we be aware of the things that Satan will use to derail us, to distract us. And so today when we talk about unity, it's more from perspective of let's be on the lookout for things that might get in the way of the body of Christ being united. You see, when the church is looking for the kingdom, when it's working for the kingdom, when we're all pursuing the heart and the mind of Christ in all of our ministries, 
I guess in short, when we're through the power of the Holy Spirit making a difference for God's work among his people, Satan will ramp up his attacks, won't he? I mean, you've seen it in your life when things are going really well, when you're getting deeper into the Word, when you're, when you're praying harder and stronger, when, you're, when, when you're, you're, uh, you're being involved more in what God wants you to do, when you're growing spiritually, that's when Satan attacks. He's not going to bother you if you're not doing anything to grow in Christ. So I think we should understand and be prepared for the reality that as we grow, as we mature, as we begin to really plug into the things that God has got for us, we're going to experience attack. And we know from painful experience that Satan's attacks are not always frontal. Satan doesn't line up his forces against those at the church and lead a charge. It's not the way he does it. No, no, his attacks are so much more sinister, so much more deadly to the life of the church. Experience has, has taught us that Satan's most effective means of destroying the work of the church is to attack from inside the body, from inside the church itself. This strategy is, is, is incredibly simple in its design, it's effective in its implementation. What do you do is you get the church, Satan says, you get the church fighting itself, and we won't have time, we won't have to be able to worry about the church fighting him. So he keeps us in an uproar, disagreeing with each other. And for the most part, we've been willing to let Satan have his way with this plan as the, as the church universal. Through the centuries since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church has often had a difficult time agreeing with one another. Jesus knew that unity would be an issue for the church. Why? Because we're all individuals. We come together corporately as the body of Christ, each one of us bringing our own gifts, bringing our own uh, experiences, bringing our own lives into the life of the church, but we are, in fact, individuals. And so as a result, we will not always agree. So, so Jesus knew that the church needs to be taught and be taught often about the idea of, of, of unity. John recorded a very lengthy prayer where Jesus prayed for himself, the disciples, and all believers. It's called the high, his high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 23. He says, I am in them... And you, he's praying to, the, praying to God, you are in me. May they be made completely one so that the, so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, God, please let the world know that the people of God are one. You have sent me. I have called the church. The church is together as one and you love us all. Jesus asked his Father in this prayer that all of God's children, all believers, us, us, would be united. Why would he take time out to do that? Well, so that through our unity of mind, our unity of, of spirit and strength and purpose, the world would know that God's love is a part of, of who we are. 
and that, and that the world would see Jesus Christ in us. That's the way the church is strong. That's the way the church is effective. That's the way we are able to go into a lost world and bring them the light of salvation when we act together. When we act together. This is because there's power in the unified body of Christ. When we're in, uh, in singleness of mind, then we are a force to be reckoned with. The opposite, of course, is also true. If there's fights and, and quarreling among, among believers, among the church, then we keep ourselves out of service in the real battles of life. If we're busy arguing and bickering one with another, we do not have the focus that is required to leave this place and do battle for the kingdom of God in a world that is lost and is dying and is hurting and needs to hear about the love of Jesus. If worship is praising God with everything that we have and all that we do is worship, and I hope that we get that out of this series if we get nothing else, that, that worship is all that we do, all that we have. It would stand to reason that when we are focused on something other than than our calling in the gospel, then we can't be the church that we need to be. We cannot be the Christians that we need to be, the people that God has created and called us to be. God's word is clear that we need to be united. And when we are united, it will be evident to the world. Jesus prayed that for us. That when we are together, the world will know. Experience has also taught us if it is important to God, it ought to be important to us. And so it is with harmony within the body of believers. Harmony within the church is critically important to the Lord. And if it is critically important to God, it needs to be critically important to us. We need to do whatever it is that is necessary to make sure that we are prepared to do the work that God has challenged his people, his people, the church, to do. And a lot of that has to do with how we treat and love one another. Perhaps nobody wrote more on the need for the church to be united, the need to resist falling into disharmony or discord than the Apostle Paul. It seems that almost all of his letters to the early churches, which comprise a, a considerable percentage of the New Testament, dealt in some way with the issue of harmony or unity in the body. Because to let discord fester would be to pass a death sentence on the church. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul said this in Romans 15, 5 and 6, which is one of our other passages that we're taking a look at today. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you agreement with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Who did he call on? He called on God. And he gave a couple of titles to God. The God of endurance and encouragement. Why? Because endurance and encouragement are vital to our maintaining harmony and unity with one another. We have to endure. We've got to, to be able to live 
uh, with one another, among one another. We've got to be able to work together. And sometimes that means we've got to work through issues in, in our lives, and in, in, our, in our corporate lives, in our individual lives. We've got to be able to get it, have endurance, and God gives that. God gives that in, in considerable measure, endurance. And he also talks about encouragement. We'll never be together if we don't encourage one another. We'll never be a, 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 a church that, that is inviting. And I, mean, I don't mean the church building. I mean the church as the people of God. We will never be uh, inviting to a world that is searching for something that is missing in their lives unless we are encouragers, unless we encourage each other and, and encourage them as well. Elsewhere in Romans, Paul returns to the issue of unity. In chapter 12, verse 16, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. In chapter 14, verse 19, Paul tells us to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. What's that unity? It's harmony. It's working together. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, which, of, which we, as we know, was embroiled with internal bickering, with argument, with discord. Paul called on the church to stop fighting amongst itself and to get on with the work of spreading the gospel. He begins his letter in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10 by saying, Now I urge you. Some translations say exhort or, or implore, implore. But it says, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all say the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. He was pleading with this church to get together, to get along so that they can expand the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. He reminded the church at Galatia of their unity in Christ in Galatians 3. Verses 24 through 20, I'm sorry, 26 through 28, when he says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. What is, what is Paul trying to say here? That the things that would divide us, the subcultures, the subgroups, that would divide us. There is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Do not matter in the grand scheme of God's plan for the church. We are all one in Christ. Doesn't matter where we came from. Doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how many generations uh, uh, we are of, uh, of, of people who, who have been part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of clothes we wear, how old we are, whether we're male or female. It doesn't matter, Paul says. All that matters is that we are one in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to die for me and for my sin just the way he came to die for you and your sin wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Jesus is the ultimate equalizer. So as we are all one, we are all together the ephesian church paul urged them to be worthy of their calling in christ ephesians 4 3 says with all humility and gentleness with patience accepting one another in love diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us in his letter to the philippians he said only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ so that whether i come and see you or remain absent I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
He says in Philippians chapter 2 that if there is any encouragement in Christ, any, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. And what is the goal of the church? To spread the gospel. The goal of the church is to leave the comfort of its congregation and to spread out into a lost world and to share the message of salvation. To share the message of what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for you and what he can do for any person who would believe, who would lay his, his, his sins and his anxieties and his fears down at the altar, down at the cross and say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I am ready to be the person that you want me to be. I want to be the person that you have created me to be. I don't want to live life on my terms. I want to live life on your terms because your word tells me that you've always got your best in mind. You've always got your best in the works for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I want to be called according to your purpose. We're all the same. We focus on one goal. In Colossians, Paul writes of the power of love to, to maintain harmony. He says in Colossians 3.14, he says, And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let me ask you something as the church. Do we put on love? What a great time to talk about this, right? I mean, today is Valentine's Day. By the way, happy Valentine's Day to everyone. But we're not talking about a sentimentality. We're not talking about a warm, tingly feeling. When Paul tells us to put on love as the church, it is a choice that we make. Do we love one another even when we are not necessarily feeling very lovely? Do we love the world around us even though they may persecute us, even though they may be lined up against us. Do we love the people around us who are lost? Listen, there are people that are in your area of, of influence, people in your circle. They may be in your family. They may be friends of yours. There are people that you know that are going through life without Jesus Christ. You know, if you're a believer, you know, and I know, that life is hard enough. Satan buffets us enough when we have Jesus Christ on our side, when we have Jesus fighting for us, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us teaching us and protecting us and, and, and challenging us and helping us to grow and helping us to keep focused on, on what's important, to major on the majors of life. And that's what God would have us to do, what God would have us to think, how God would have us to behave. There are people who don't have that direction in life. There are people who wander through life not, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring and, and it's paralyzed them with fear. How can we love if we're not sharing the gospel? How can we love? And how can we share the gospel if we're not together in love as the church? We have got to be a physical reflection of the love of God. 
So Paul challenges these churches to, to be deliberate and intentional about their love for one another. Put on love. I mean, Paul wrote extensively about that concept. He's not the only one. The issue of, of, of unity was also on Peter's mind as well. In his, in his very first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter concludes by saying, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Why? Because if we don't do these things, then we're going to begin to bicker. We're going to begin to let our agendas drive wedges in the body of Christ. And as we begin to drive wedges between each other, it is an absolute assault on the body of Christ. It is an assault on the church. And so these, these fathers of the early church are imploring the generations that will come after Keep your mind on the prize. Focus on what God has called you to do. It's so easy to disagree and become disheartened and to not get involved and do those kind of things because someone has hurt our feelings because we do have feelings that do get hurt. But God has called us to rise above that. He has called us to rise above that by making sure that we understand that we serve a purpose that is so much greater than ourselves. So much greater than one church. So much greater than one group. We are called to serve the kingdom of God. Every one of us are called to do that. But why is all this important? Why is this concept of, of unity and, and harmony why is it important because if we can't love one another if we cannot be of the same mind or in one accord or in harmony with each other as the body of Christ we won't be the witness to others that are seeking something different something different than the pain the anxiety the strife and the discord that this world has to offer. If you don't think this world is in a mess, turn on the television, pull up whatever news website you may look at, pick up the newspaper, read a magazine. The church has got to say, this is not all there is. Because there are people who are just disheartened and depressed and filled with fear and anxiety because they think that this is it. The mess that this world is in, the mess that this country is in, that this is it. Guys, as the church, we know that what we are experiencing here is a momentary fraction of time in God's plan. And that we're able to have joy. We're able to have love. We're able to have peace. A peace that surpasses anything we could possibly ever envision or imagine or dream or hope. Because we worship the God who is at the 
end of everything. You see, God is already in tomorrow. He already knows the answers. He already knows the issues. We got to take that message to the world. There's, there's, there's somebody that you know. Listen, I, I'm, I'm appealing to you. There is somebody that you know that needs to know there is something beyond this world and that God loves them and that God wants the best for them and that God wants them to experience peace and hope. He wants them to have that. Why? Because His Word tells us that. His Word tells us that He wants us to experience those things and those are things that only He can provide. And if we can't do this, if we cannot do this, then we cannot do the work to which we have been called. If we can't love each other, how can we love a lost world? And if we can't do any of this, we can't love God as we're supposed to, which means that we can't worship in spirit and in truth. So you see, we have to get this right as individuals. We have to get this right as the church. There's no point in focusing on worship or prayer or any of the other important work of, of the church if our hearts are clouded with discord. Because we simply can't maximize what God would have us to do if we're distracted with other thoughts and feelings and agendas. So if this is us, Let's listen to Paul when he said this in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How should we forgive? What does Paul say? How should we forgive one another? We should forgive one another the way Christ forgives us. And how did Christ forgive us? He gave himself for us. Jesus gave his life for me and for you to provide forgiveness for the sins that separate us from the love of God. Kind of makes our disagreements among ourselves, if we have any, seem kind of petty, doesn't it? If Jesus came here to die for a world, past, present, and future, whose sin, whose discord with God had separated them from their creator then how much easier should it be for us to offer forgiveness to a brother and sister who may knowingly or unknowingly have transgressed against us have loved and to offer love for, for one another let's be vigilant to seek out and to deal with potential areas of disunity of discord Let's be diligent to watch for Satan's attacks on the body of Christ. Let's be united in purpose, in spirit, in mind, and in love. Let's worship God like nothing else matters. I've got a couple of other verses that I want to share with you just to give you something to think about. The first one is, is John 13. John 13, verses 34 and 35. When Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we don't love one another, we can't have unity. And if we, can't have, and if we are not united, we can't love one another. So it's kind of, they're, they're, they're in a relationship with each other. And if we don't love one another, then we're not going to be able to represent the Father. And isn't that what Jesus said? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you have great programs, not if you have a, a tremendous budget, not if you write a bunch of checks, not if you do any, you know, not if you give lip service to uh, religious tradition or ritual, whatever that is. No, no, he says you will know, people will know that you are a part of the body of Christ if you have love for one another. Another verse that I was thinking about this morning, or a little passage that I was thinking about this morning, is found in Romans 12, beginning in verse 10. When Paul writes this to the church at Rome, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in, in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We can't observe or implement or do these things that Paul wrote to this church about if we don't love one another. We can't do these things if we're not united together. Doesn't mean, look, unity, harmony doesn't mean that we're not going to disagree. There will be times when reasonable people praying hard will disagree. But the question that we must ask ourselves is this. Will we allow Satan to creep into our disagreements and create a barrier between us and God, between us and each other, between us and our mission, our ministry? That is the question that we have to answer. We're not always going to be in lockstep. When we talk about determining the, the path or the vision that God has for us, okay? But when we come together, when we set our plans and our goals and our missions aside for the greater good of the kingdom of God, that is a unity that hell does not want, that it cannot fight, and that it cannot defeat. That's why the church has got to be together, because we have got a mission. We've got battles to fight. God has already won the war. Satan knows what his future is. And so his goal is to make God's people here on this earth as miserable as he possibly can. And the question is, will we allow his plan to succeed? Will we allow what is going on in our lives 
to make its way into the body in a way that's not dealt with, not addressed. Will we do that? Will we be diverted from our mission? It's a call to togetherness. I mean, you can call it unity or harmony or whatever it is, but what it is, is it's togetherness. It's fellowship. It's love. These things ought to, ought to identify the church. We ought to be known for these things. Will we give the time and the attention and the determination to do these things. Now listen, you may be listening today, maybe the first time you've ever tuned in, maybe you've been listening for a while, but, but you've not given your heart to Jesus. Let me tell you something, there is a serenity, there is a peace, there is a unity, there is a love that is only to be found at the foot of the cross. The church should be practicing not a do as I say, not as I do type of worship. We should be modeling that, but it all comes down to a condition of the heart. And the question that you have to answer today is, are you willing, are you ready to give your heart to Jesus? Are you willing to let Him do what only He can do in your life, to pick you up, to clean you off, to point you in the right direction, to teach you as you walk, to help you grow as the Holy Spirit comes in, uh, it takes up residence in, into your body, and, and it begins to, He begins to teach you, and He begins to, to, to uh, protect you, to guide you, to lead you, those types of things. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to not live life on your terms, but on God's terms? Are you ready for the feeling of, of peace that unity can bring? that love fosters. Are you ready to give your all to Jesus today? If you are, then pray this prayer with me today. God, I'm a sinner. I know that. There are things that I have done in my life that have separated me from you. I've been independent. I've been even arrogant in thinking that I could live life on my terms. But God, I know now that I need a Savior. And I know that that Savior is Jesus Christ. God, I know that Jesus is your Son and that He came to this earth to die for me. To take my sins to His cross. And he did that. And because of that, I ask him into my, in, in, into my heart right now. I want him to change me, to save me. I thank you for the price that he paid. A price that I could never pay and would never be able to begin to show gratitude for. God, save me today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you if you prayed that today, would you go on to our website at fbclewisville.org? There's a place where you can let us know about a decision that you made. Would you call us at the church to let us know? We want to, we, number one, want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We want to, to encourage you. We, if you're not in this area, we want to hook you up with a church that can help you as you begin to grow in this path. We want to be there for you. That's what the church does. That's what the body of Christ is about. Being there for each other. And we want to do that for you. Let us know if you've made a decision today.
Church, be on the lookout for opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. Be on the lookout for ways to love one another, to fight disunity, to fight disharmony. Be on the lookout for ways that we can come together and do tremendous things for the kingdom of God. It's our path. It's our mission. It's where we've been called. Let's walk that path together. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for your word, how it, it teaches us, how it, it instructs us, how it breaks us sometimes, God, how it informs us about the love you have for us. God, I just thank you that you've given us this way to, to, to learn more about you, how you speak to us. God, as we seek to be a church that loves one another, and that because we love one another, we can love the world around us because we do so out of an abundance of the love you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would place a protection around your church. That the plans of the enemy to disrupt or distract us, God, would fall weak and powerless to the ground. God, I pray that as we grow to know more about you, to know more about Jesus, to know more about the Holy Spirit and, and what you do for us each and every day, God, I just pray that we are strengthened in our desire, in our intention, in our focus on loving and serving and reaching in your name. God, I pray that we can know more about you, that we can be more like Jesus, that we can live for Christ. Lord, we know that we can only do that as one. One body, made up of many parts, but God, one body. And Father, I pray that you would, you would empower us and strengthen us to fulfill that calling. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.